All right, so we're starting a new series this morning uh, called Getting to Know God. So it's only something I think that people have been trying to get a grasp of for the last few millennia. So uh, we're going to spend three weeks on it. And uh, hopefully by the end, you should get to know God pretty well, right? Yeah, sure. No problem. No problem. So how many people have heard of the Apostles' Creed? Anybody, the Apostles' Creed? So some of you. Um, So the Apostles' Creed, maybe you memorized it in confirmation or you went to another church and they said it uh, growing up, a more traditional church. Um, At Hope, we say it uh, when there's a baptism. But if you've never heard of it, that's okay. That's okay. Um, The Apostles' Creed, it's uh, something that, it's kind of a central statement of faith for the Christian church. It's something that has its roots that go way back to less than 100 years after Jesus' resurrection. So it's been around for quite a while. Um, and it started as something people would say in these, when they would gather together in houses and they would remind themselves of the answer to this question, who is God? Who is God? And so I want to just make sure we're all on the same page here this morning. So we're going to say the creed together. Uh, just so that we know what we're talking about. If you've never heard it before, that's okay. We're going to say it together. The words are going to be up on the screen here. So let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right. So, got it all figured out. We, I mean, the creed is supposed to tell us who God is, so everybody good? We can just go home now and we'll be good to go? Maybe, I mean, maybe since we're here, maybe we should stick around. I, I will say, I have uh, I, what I believe is the record for the shortest sermon ever preached at Hope Des Moines. It was my first sermon here, 16 minutes long, so you're welcome for that. Um, <laughs> But I thought this morning we'd go for the opposite record and do the longest sermon ever preached. And I know John's preached some good ones that have been pretty long, so just get comfortable, right? I'm okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There's like a lot of serious faces out there that are like, oh no, it's not what I wanted to be doing this weekend. Uh, but since we're here, let's just spend a little bit more time talking about uh, God and who is God and this idea um, of answering this question, who is God? So creeds are nothing new in the church, in the Bible, even if you want to turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. So it's way up in the front, the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy 6. And so this, uh, what we're going to read, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it's going to be up on the screen. And so this is uh, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, they would call this the Shema. And this was kind of a very basic statement of faith to answer this question, who is God? So let's read it together. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So it, it answers that question, who is God? The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Then we can turn to Deuteronomy 26 and we can see that, uh, well, here's another way to answer the question. Who is God? And it's more about what God has done. 
So in Deuteronomy 26, starting in verse 5, and I'm going to skip around a little bit. You must then say in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became large and mighty. But the Egyptians, they oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves. So we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and he heard our cries. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm. He brought us in this place and gave us this land of milk and honey. So who is God? God's the one who acts on behalf of his people. God's the one who takes his people out of slavery in Egypt into the freedom of the promised land. That's who God is. And that's who God is still today. Then we turn to Matthew 16 and we have Jesus kind of talking to his disciples and he's asking them, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, you know, some say Elijah, some say you're a prophet. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he asks, so who do you say that I am? What's your answer to that question, who is God? And Peter looks at him and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Another way to answer the question, who is God? And Paul in Romans answers the question this way. In his earthly life, Jesus was born into King David's family. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So all of these statements in the Bible, the Apostles' Creed, all of these statements of faith trying to get at an answer to the question, who is God? Who is God? Now Martin Luther, this Catholic monk who started the movement that became the Lutheran Church, he talked about the Creed in this way. He says that the Creed teaches us to know God perfectly. The creed teaches us to know God perfectly. And you might be thinking, wow, you know, the creed, it took maybe what, like a minute to read? It probably fits on like one page of a book, and somehow we're supposed to know God perfectly from that? I mean, isn't the Bible kind of supposed to teach us who God is and what he's done? And well, I've read a lot of stuff in the Bible, and I still don't have a, like, I wouldn't say a complete, perfect grasp of who God is. So how can this creed, this short thing, teach us to know God perfectly? perfectly. Well, you see, I think what Luther meant is that when we recite the creed, we get to know God as God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in those three unique persons, we get to know a complete picture of who God is. We get to know this complete picture of who God is. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. So today, we're going to start and we're going to focus on God the Father. So to get us kind of warmed up, get us thinking about some famous fathers, uh, I, want to, I want to give you some examples, uh, inspiration of what some of the best fathers of all time are. I think you're going to know these people, but these are what we're really talking about, right? So who's this guy? Yes. And how about next one? Great father, right? Excellent example. How about this next one? Oh, this is like my generation. This is full house, so it's Danny Tanner, I think was his name. Yes, yes. Next one. So anybody recognize this guy? From The Walking Dead. So this is Herschel. From, I'm sorry, I, it's one of my favorite shows, so it's probably not the best thing to say in church. But And then this guy. 
Phil, yes, Phil Dunphy, like the perfect example. What I want you to take away from the sermon this morning is when you think about God as father, I want you to think of Phil Dunphy. (laughs) If you don't know who Phil Dunphy is, he's on Modern Family. It's an awesome show. He's like the most clueless, cool, corny dad there is. So um, God as Phil Dunphy, probably not quite the father that those early church leaders were talking about when they decided to... uh, talk about God as Father as the first part of the creed. Maybe they had something else in mind. But, I mean, if you stop to think for just a second, man, that the church leaders chose God as Father as the attribute to start off with is pretty mind-blowing because, I mean, there's so many other words that we could use to describe God to start out this creed, this all-powerful God of ours. I believe in God the unchanging. I believe in God, the creator of the universe, the ruler of all things, this all-powerful, all-knowing being. But instead of any of that, the early church leaders decided to say, I believe in God, the Father. And they wanted to root the entire understanding of who God is in that understanding that God is a Father. Who is God? God's a Father. Almighty. But I think, you know, the challenge for us is that the word father can be pretty loaded. The father, the word father can be pretty loaded. For me, when I think of the word father, I think of my earthly father. This is a picture of him and me, one a little more recent than the other. And, you know, I think of this guy who's been a great example in my life, who we share so many things in common, who has been there to listen to me and to support me and to encourage my dreams And I have great memories, and in a lot of ways, when I look at my dad, I can see in some small ways in him what my earthly, what my heavenly father must be like. Now, that's not to say that we're perfect and we have a perfect relationship. You know, there's tons of stress from time to time, especially in high school. That was a pretty stressful time. But overall, a loving father. And a lot of you probably can have similar stories of this man in your life who was a role model, who was an example, an encourager. He sacrificed for your family. He was a source of protection and wisdom and guidance. And in those ways, I mean, they shape for the positive our view of God as Father. But then for some of us, when I say the word Father, there's different images that come to mind. There's painful images of a harsh critic, of someone who was never there for you, someone who was absent, who was neglectful, who was unreasonable, unreliable. The word father can be so loaded with so many different meanings. And so when I say God is our father, some of you out there might be thinking, okay, well, wow, if, any, if God is anything like my father, I really don't want anything to do with that guy. I don't want anything to do with that guy. No thanks. I mean, I'll take a pass. Let's talk about God as something else. Because you see, it's so easy to impose our mixed up hurts and emotions uh, from our earthly father onto our heavenly father. It's so easy to impose our mixed up hurts and emotions from our earthly father onto our heavenly father. So if your dad was distant growing up, it doesn't take much for you to think that God's a distant father. 
Or if your dad was unreliable growing up, it doesn't take many unanswered prayers for you to start to think that God is just that same kind of unreliable father that you've always known. And it's so easy just to kind of give up on the whole idea. Or maybe your misconceptions about God as father were formed uh, growing up and you read in the Bible or you hear at church this idea of God is this vengeful guy, this cosmic cop just waiting for you to mess up, just waiting to punish you for what you've done that's wrong. This violent force instead of a loving father. Our past can so easily define our present view of God as Father. Our past experiences can do that. So if you, everybody on uh, this side, you've got the baskets that we passed down for the Connect cards. If you would grab those, and there's a Post-it note in those. And so I want everybody to grab a Post-it note, and if you don't have something to write with, grab a pen. So grab a Post-it note and a pen. The ushers will help you out if you're in the back, don't have one of those. So what I want everybody to do, grab that post-it note, grab a pen. We're going to take some time just to acknowledge some of those uh, misconceptions, those negative views about God as Father. So I, if, God was, if you've got this view of God as distant or as judge or as controlling or absent, just write that down on the post-it note. So what I want you to do, write down this negative view or misconception you have held Maybe in the past, maybe now in the present, of God as Father. So I'll give you a a few seconds here. We'll let the baskets be passed and just give you a second to think in silence about maybe a negative view of God. No problem, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, But you can keep thinking about it throughout the rest of the sermon, but... um, What I want to do for the rest of the time, hold on to those post-it notes. We're going to use them later on in the service here. But um, what I want to do is spend the rest of our time digging into what Jesus meant when he used the F word, Father. When he used the F word, Father. Right? Okay, so that got some of your attention back. That's good. That's good. Um, So I want us to help, I want to help us see God the Father through Jesus' eyes. Because this is the reality. Let's read this together from John 1. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. No one has ever seen God. It's God, the only Son, who's close to the Father's heart, who's made him known. And Jesus spent a lot of his time in his earthly ministry telling people what God, his heavenly Father, was like. Spent a lot of time, and I mean, it makes sense. Jesus, God's only son, can probably paint the best picture of what God the Father looks like. So we get to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew in chapters 5 through 7, this big chunk of teaching that Jesus does, and there's plenty of spots within here where we get to see this picture of God as Father. So Jesus is talking about loving your enemies, and he says, you know, you should love your enemies because, well, that's what... God the Father does. God the Father, that's the way that he acts. And in Matthew 5, we hear this. Matthew 5, 44 through 45. 
But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on those who are just and unjust alike. See, Jesus is saying God is a Father who showers his blessings generously and recklessly on all of his children. All of his children. He doesn't treat them as they deserve to be treated. But he loves them all. Then Jesus is talking about prayer and he says, you know, God's a father that you can go to when you have need, when you have things that you need to be provided for. God's that father. He'll provide for you. So Jesus says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. I mean, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not, right? So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? See, God is a Father who provides for his children. Then we go a little later in Matthew and we hear this story about a lost sheep. And Jesus is saying, well, God's a Father who loves his children so much that this is the kind of thing that he does. So there's a man that has a hundred sheep and he's tending to these sheep and he's caring for them and then one of them wanders off and gets lost. And well, this man leaves the 99 behind and he goes in search of this one sheep because that one sheep is just as important as the rest of them. And in that story, Jesus is saying, this is what God the Father is like. Every single one of his children is just as important to him. And he'll do whatever it takes to get that one child back. That's the kind of God, that's the kind of father that God is. Then we get to this famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son of the lost son. And Jesus says, this is the type of father that God is. So there's a father who has a son. And the son comes to his dad and he says, hey, you know, how about you just give me all of my inheritance now because ah, this family life thing isn't so much fun. I just want to get out there, kind of experience life, have a good time. I mean, in reality, the son's saying, Dad, you're basically dead to me because I'd be getting this money when you die, so why don't you just give it to me now and I'll go enjoy myself and, you know, best of luck to you. See you later. And, well, the dad, he's a nice guy. He's a loving father and he wants to give his kids some freedom to make their own choices. And so he gives his son his share of the inheritance. And the son goes off and he wastes all of this money on parties and women and wine and having a good time. And then the money runs out. And he hits some hard times, some really hard times, to the point where he's watching these pigs eat and he realizes that they're eating better than he is. And it's not going to be much longer before he dies from hunger. Life is not quite how we imagined it would be. And so this son decides he's got to go back to his father and just beg his father to take him back as one of his father's hired hands. Because at least then he'll have some food to eat. I mean, if you were that father, after all that son did to you, after the insult and the anger and the disappointment and the sadness of your son leaving you, rejecting you, 
taking half of everything you've worked so hard to build up to give your family this safe future. His son comes back and he wants more money now. What are you going to say? I mean, I think it's pretty obviously reasonable to say, ah, no, no, get lost, son. You know, you said I was dead to you, so, well, you're dead to me now, so don't talk to me. I'm not going to help you at all. I think that's a fairly reasonable response for someone that's been so hurt, that's been so betrayed. But instead, this is what the father does. So the son, he returns home to his father. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. Who is God? God is a father like this father. Who, when we're still far off, God comes running to us. Nothing can separate us from his love. Not betrayal, not brokenness. The Father's love long outlasts the Father's anger and disappointment. There's nothing that can corrupt the Father's compassion. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this, that God is a God who makes the first move for us. God is a God who comes running. He doesn't wait for us to run. He runs to us. He doesn't consider the cost. He makes the first move. And that's what we heard in our reading this morning from Galatians 4. Listen to this, Galatians 4, 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son. You see, God's the one doing the action. God is the one doing the sending. God is the one that's doing the moving, running to us. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. See, God is a father who is willing to buy our freedom, to make this risky investment in his children. And before he even knows if the investment is going to pan out, if we're going to do anything to earn our worth and our value in the end, he still is willing to buy our freedom. He is still willing to make that investment. And before, any, before we can do anything, he loves us simply because we're his children. Simply because we're his children. I can't tell you the number of times when I was growing up that I'd come home to my dad and I would complain to him about something that wasn't going right, that some trouble that I was having. You know, ah, dad, I just, I don't get math. I don't understand it. Like, I'm going to fail this math test. I just know it. Or... Ah, you know, I was in band. I don't have any sports stories to share, sorry. But in band, you know, and this was a big thing for band. Like, I'm not going to get the solo. I'm not good enough. I don't think, you know, I just, I'm not going to get the solo. It's not going to be good. Ah. And I'd be bummed about that or maybe more serious things like, I don't know if I have the guts to ask this girl out on a date. And then later on, I moved out of the house and went to college. And it'd be late night phone calls that I'd be calling him saying, ah, you know, I... I waited too long. I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this paper. I'm not making any friends in this town where I just moved to. I'm lonely. I'm having trouble forgiving this girl who hurt me. I just don't know if I can handle all of this. I don't know if I can do the right thing. I, I just don't know. 
So there'd be these late night phone calls and all these conversations. And in the midst of all of it, my dad would always be encouraging me. And he would always remind me of how talented and gifted I was. But most of all, he would remind me that he would love me and he would be proud of me no matter what, just because I was his son. Just because I was his son. And that's the same kind of love that God the Father has for all of us. He has it for all of us. And if you haven't experienced that love, God is still waiting and God is still ready to be that Father for you. Do you believe that this morning? I believe it because I read about it in the Bible, in this story, in Matthew 3. Jesus is about to be baptized. And, well, it's right at the beginning of his ministry, so he hasn't performed any miracles yet. He hasn't said anything particularly brilliant or profound. And yet Jesus goes to the River Jordan, and he's baptized by John, and this is what happens. After his baptism... As Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, his father's voice said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Would you read that together with me? This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. You see, right at the start, before Jesus could do anything to earn the acceptance, the admiration, the affection of his father, God said, I love you anyways. I love you just because you are my son. So no matter the obstacles that you're facing this morning, no matter the anxiety about performing to a certain level of being good enough, No matter the obstacles of messy relationships or brokenness with your earthly father. No matter the financial trouble you find yourself in or the uncertainty about the future. No matter any of those things. Do you believe that God loves you and that God is proud of you simply because you are his child? The same thing that Jesus said, that God said to Jesus when Jesus was baptized He says that to us in our baptism. In the waters of baptism, we are reborn children of God and inheritors of this eternal life, heirs to the new family kingdom that God has so generously provided for us. So if you haven't been baptized, that's something that I'd be happy to talk with you about after the service. Because the waters of baptism are powerful. It's a powerful symbol to remind us that before we could do anything to prove our worthiness to God, God chooses us. God chooses us. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. So will you know God the Father this morning the way that Jesus knows him? As a father who provides for his children. As a father whose anger far, whose love far outlasts his anger. As a father who adopts us into the family and says, you belong right here. 
We've saved a spot for you. And as a father who says, I love you and I'm proud of you, before you can do anything to earn it. Because that's the kind of father we're talking about when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That is God our Father. He's a father who, while we were still far off, came running to us and embraced you and embraced me and embraced all of us together with his love. And so as we wrap up today, I want to give us a chance to not just hear these words, but to embrace them. And so with that post-it note, with that negative view, that misconception of God, that negative memory, the association you take from your earthly father, from some past experience, and you transpose it onto God as father. You're going to have a chance to come up and place those post-it notes on these blue poster boards. So you'll come down the center aisle, the band's going to be playing. And make this a spiritual experience for yourself. Take some time to pray before you come up and come up when you're ready. But pray that, God, would you help me repair any brokenness in the image that I have of you as Father. Help me to see you as Jesus sees you. As a loving Father. So you take those post-it notes, you'll come down whenever you're ready. Put them on the poster board. Leave them behind this morning. And then there's cards that we have with some different words about God. Some positive words to help us remember that God is a loving Father, full of compassion and mercy. So you can take that as you go back to your seats. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. So... Come when you're ready. The band will be playing here for a while. Amen.